Paul, how are we, sir? Wonderful. How are you, man? <laughs> We're good. We've been chatting before this uh, episode came on for like probably nearly an hour and 20 minutes before we uh, actually press record. So we're like, right, we actually better do this. Uh, so Paul has a hat trick appearance, by the way. Uh, so Paul was on the episode five and number 46. He was very one of the very first early guests on the podcast. Uh, so I'm going to let you do a little brief intro for yourself paul on this i've done a little brief intro for you already but i'll let you do a brief intro for yourself your memory impresses me i don't even know what episode of the podcast i'm about to record half the time so when you talk about episode 5 and 46 i'm thinking i don't even know what the hell i was saying on my episode <laughs> um a little introduction <clears throat> personal trainer uh, similar to you podcaster um i would imagine similar outlook and philosophy towards yourself. Big time. Um, very much my thesis is, my whole philosophy has very much been trying to encourage people to have a very healthy relationship with food. And in many instances, I do end up helping, without jumping out of my lane, trying to help people, in fact, heal their relationships with food so that they can achieve goals, whether it's fat loss or ironically, not fat loss for the first time in life as a you know, come off the diet bandwagon and actually eat, you know, enjoy food in a very peaceful and calm mindset. Essentially my truth, I'm, I'm essentially what I am is the trainer for my clients that I needed when I was, say, 16, um, again, in my early 20s and certainly in my mid-20s, just the, the influence that I would have needed and I would have appreciated that I kind of had to become for myself. I'm just trying to be that now for my clients. And um, yeah, in doing so, I've managed to run myself a little personal training business and um, I love it. So yeah, that's uh, me in a nutshell. No, like I, I think myself and Paul click because we do have the same ideology towards things and we, we do work some, like we do work with very similar type of clients as well. And like some people were like, oh, you're rivals. No, 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 that's not how it works. Like I refer to Paul, Paul refers to me. We ask each other questions and we're talking off air about different ideas and running ideas past each other. And I think, I think in an, in an industry where egos are quite high, it's important to have that kind of circle, to have that kind of like be able to say, right, I have an idea and no, Shane, that's shit. No, Paul, that's shit. And being able to say that, I think that's hugely, hugely important. Um, well, Shane, following you, and I would say specifically you, not even the likes of you, but following you makes me even more self-aware of knowing that I can and cannot help certain kinds of clients and don't try and be everybody's hero. Uh, so like I'll see you work with a specific person or a specific, if you like, um, common problem. And it just makes me go, yeah, Shane's got more knowledge there. That's, that's better suited to, to a Shane Walsh. That's better suited to a different trainer. Uh, and, you know, we're not in competition with each other. There's success out there for absolutely everybody. There's enough you know, clients out there. Absolutely. You know, my, my, personality your personality is essentially what's going to get you clients i believe but everyone's a macros coach to a degree that's not the impressive part of coaching certainly not in my opinion but there are times i do look at clients issues and where i would have maybe in my younger years tried to be everybody's hero per se you just put take off the ego hat a little bit and put on the higher self hat and go do you know what i'm not the man for this task so definitely not in competition if anything it's a, it's a network of um of other coaches that you're building. And I, I do think success happens when you stop seeing the world with that 
competitive mindset. No, like you do well, it's not coming out of my pocket. Simple as. So I see it that way. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's I think it's hugely important. Um, one of the things you kind of said there was in relation to kind of staying in your lane. And I think whatever coach it is, whoever it may be, has a speciality. Like it, for me, it'll be like the female fat loss side of things. For you, it will be working on someone's relationship with themselves and their food, which is all a huge aspect of coaching anyway. But you have a unique way of phrasing things and making the client think. How have you had to change being able to stay in the lane rather than trying to be a coach to everyone when not everyone wants necessary to have the help? Yeah, uh, you, you make a good point in terms of what I do, but I, I do think it is a bit cliche that I think every good coach, and, and sincerely, has the goal of helping people improve their relationship with themselves. I think if you ask bodybuilders at 5%, they would tell you it's the same goal for their clients, even if it isn't inherently happening we all want that for our client base um for me it's it's very much a case of trying to speak my truth trying to be evidence-based but also trying to work with the client in very much a partnership basis as opposed to a dictatorship that's kind of the way i see it i feel a lot of people are very ambivalent in their goals kind of to say that um two conflicting beliefs wanting a certain goal or wanting a certain outcome but perhaps also not ready to let go of certain behaviors that would support that outcome. And that's why I think conversation and communication between client and coach are extremely important because sometimes our goal can be to help clients create their own level of self-awareness. What, what does end up happening is upon strong evaluation of clients' goals and questions, more intelligent questions than maybe I would have asked before, is sometimes people actually aren't immediately looking for fat loss. They're looking to get to the stage where their next meal or food in general isn't their every waking thought so they can begin eating in a very peaceful, calm, happy, relaxed manner, maybe building some self-trust so that eventually whatever goal you set, you can do so from that place. Like if I was just to give you a very brief uh, example, I I know you'll be familiar with this, but this this can be enlightening. It was very enlightening to me when, when I started to discover it. The mindset shift around dieting from a very unhealthy to a healthy place, in my opinion, can be extremely, it'll be massive. It's like, poof. but the actual actions might only be the tiniest of actions. It might be allowing yourself to finally eat the chocolate without the guilt, or it might be seeing your diet needing the next possible change towards success. They're not sexy. Those changes aren't sexy things. They don't have any immediate rewards or immediate outcomes. That's why they're probably so hard to sustain because we all want results yesterday. So it's just in general me, I mean, it's easy for me to say, I want to help people build a relationship with themselves and and whatnot, but I really do want to collaborate on a partnership level with most of my clients, a very respectful nature, be very careful around about the language I use with foods. And I want to educate people and give them the tools and give them the power to transform their own lives. Uh, But ultimately I want them to make sure that they, they can make every single choice, absolutely every single choice they want to make. And that there is obviously a consequence to every single behavior. That's the, that's the catch. You get to make all your own choices, but you also get to live all those consequences. And once you're comfortable with that and you do so from a calm, knowledgeable, happy, relaxed, empowered place, I'm a very happy coach. And that's where I've actually seen the best results with my clients, specifically in the last few years, that kind of style, if you like. Yeah, I, what you said there about kind of when someone is on 
they're kind of like the journey or they're on a weight loss journey and they've potentially come from a yo-yo dieting background for most of their lives or most of their adult lives when that whole kind of like that crutch of thinking about food all the time and thinking about chocolate when can i have that why can't i have this all this gonna have that when that epiphany hits it's massive but it is the unsexy side that it will get you to that point i think whenever that epiphany hits with my clients it's kind of like shane like i can't what like this it's just a waste like a, a metaphorical waste and a, and a figure of weight kind of comes off and I, yeah. I don't i don't think people ever think it's going to happen because they've they've failed so many times or perception of failure has failed so many times should i say and i think when it hits them it's kind of like okay now now this is this is a this is a new feeling how do i hold on to this so it's actually another element of the journey where clients is right how do we hold on to this what's the new goal non-scale victory or otherwise or whatever it may be because it can't always be weight loss precisely it really can't always be weight loss and I don't think enough of us have contended with that point. Um, you, you know, it's part of your messaging too, like the, the demonization of specific foods is a terrible thing. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there are, I'll often see certain trainers attack, if you like, online other trainers that say, oh, we get it. There's no good or bad food. We get it. We get it. But I'm, we're not talking to you, other trainers. Yeah. We know you get it. We understand you get it. That. Don't be so arrogant enough to think that we're, you know, just because you understand things means that everybody understands things. I, I've seen trainers bash philosophies that I have and straw man my argument. And I'm sure it's not intended at me, but it's very much my message. And all I can think of is, I don't care what you think. You, you obviously don't need this information. You don't, you don't knock people who need information because you know it. That's stupid. Why are you so cocky about it? And what I often see is, if you allow, like, I don't think we're really starving for more information. If, and, and you might say you believe the idea of flexible diving, and you might say you believe the idea of incorporating chocolate and sweets in. But for me, if you, if you enter a new diet or a new flexible dieting approach with the same kind of rules that you failed, perceptionally failed the last diet, then it's just another diet bandwagon. So the reason I beat the horse until it's dead with this message is because even when I'm working with my clients, it can be very difficult to get people to trust me that the food they're anxious about eating isn't inherently fattening and that they won't wake up the next day with this mountain of weight gained because you know calories, calories, not really a debate to have. You've had better guests than me talking about calories and whatnot. But when you get a client almost into this very accepting, very trusting state, very almost like a curious state to, to really challenge what they've believed. I think that's when people begin to do their best work. You know, you break down certain barriers and misconceptions that, and, and that you would have had before. And that's how I think people cultivate healthy diets and healthy relationships with food. After that, then, you know, you're going to choose nutrient-rich foods and you're going to keep structure in your diet. You know, I get asked all the time, Shane, to completely segue, but, you know, what do you advise clients for, for healthy eating away from calorie tracking? Calorie tracking is not my core message by any means. I no. think it's a really useful tool. But, you know, you could, you could begin to eat similar size portions at similar times every day with a little bit of an emphasis on proteins and fruits and vegetables, sufficient flexibility to keep you happy, and, um, you know, rinse and repeat kind of thing and, and reevaluate over time. So there are so many ways to do this. And I don't ever want to be pigeonholed as one ideology, one kind of thing. 
But I guess that kind of is what's happening now. But, you know, there's so many ways to do this. Anyway, I'm rambling on now about this kind of stuff. But I think, I think, I don't think it's about being pigeonholed into one element because there's so many different elements of weight loss in that you, like, there are so many different approaches, but one person can latch onto one approach and then they have their mates or that person or that group that they have that they hang around with will latch onto that approach. And people are always so quick, and I've been there, so quick to, if something has worked for them, then it has to work for everyone. And I think we need to drop the labels. We need to drop the whole like, oh, I'm going keto. Well, keto hasn't worked for you before, so why are you going back to it? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. If calorie counting helps you, amazing. But if you're using it as a crutch and it's, not helping you long run and you're you're using it every single day that potentially needs to be tweaked slightly it doesn't mean you have to go cold turkey with your counting calories but it may not or the flexible dieting or ia iifym um that side of things kind of comes into as well but that is different for everyone like you're flexible in your diet i'm flexible on my diet but the flexibility would have different realms everyone's balance is completely different I think once you start to coach the person rather than coaching the diet, for me, yeah, that's when results happen. Yeah, totally, a hundred percent. You're you're so spot on. You said the mistaking what works for me for what works for others. I I made this mistake. I actually put this in a post on a podcast recently. I used to train my sister four or five years ago, and I told her she should eat breakfast. And I didn't really offer her a why. I just told her, you know, eat breakfast. She, she'd been skipping breakfast. And she'd skipped breakfast all her life. My sister's two years younger than me, so 28 years of age. So about 24, 25 at the time, 24 maybe. But I remember meeting her a year later, and she was still telling me that not enough. She was trying to force feed herself breakfast. And um, I kind of realized in that time that adherence and sustainability really were the pillar. I could have said that to you. I don't know if I inherently believed it that adherence and sustainability were the forefront of a pro, you know, a plan, a program, a diet, etc. But in, in essence, to simplify, just as a quick analogy, I had been insisting she takes 50 quid out of the ATM at 9 a.m. when it didn't suit her schedule, when it would have been better if I said, look, get 50 quid out of the ATM when you have the time, whether that's 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 11 a.m., or 12. And that would have suited her life much better. And because of the mental anguish of her trying to eat breakfast and not being able to do so, there was this kind of what's the point mentality kind of creeping back into her thoughts. That made me self-evaluate a lot and think, I have the power to, I love to think I have the power to fix people's relationships with food, but I also have the power to worsen it if I don't be very careful with my language and with my words. Now, I've since obviously had a word of my sister going, oh, hey, about that advice I gave you, that was pretty terrible. I'm really sorry about that. But it's made me, you know, there would be the temptation that you might see to jump to the other extreme and think, well, fasting worked for her, so fasting for everybody. Now I'm trying to be very careful about the context and how the principle fits into people's lives. Like now I'm very more to the point of just because I understand how something works, it doesn't mean I can understand how something works for you. It's a very important distinction. I I did a webinar the other night for another PT and one of his clients asked me, what do I do Friday night when I want to take away? And, you know, I I hear this kind of advice on the internet and it's not wrong per se, but it can't be new advice at this stage, you know, save this number of calories and do this kind of thing and yada, yada, yada. not wrong advice. That's not what I'm saying. That's not the point of this little spiel. But I could have said that kind of stuff to her, but I have no context. She could be a yo-yo dieter trying to escape it. 
maybe she's not arbitrarily seeking fat loss like most personal trainers kind of assume is our client's goal. Maybe there is that degree of ambivalence where she wants to change, but she's not giving herself the permission to change through rigid rules. So I flipped the question back to her and I said, look, well, I want to take away Friday night. What will I do? And obviously the look on her face was a bit like, well, how the hell would I know that? And again, I flipped it back and I was thinking exactly it's the same. I don't know anything about you. I, I kind of understand how the principle works, but I don't know what you should do after a long week. Maybe the takeaway would be a wonderful thing for you because it's food is connection at certain times. Maybe that's the connection you crave. Maybe it would be a really good thing for you to have because it might keep your adherence to your general diet. Maybe it's a bad thing to have because it spirals the fuck it button for the weekend. I have no context for this. And she really appreciated that level of honesty. And I talk about my message being improving people's relationship with themselves and with food and whatnot. And as generic as that is, the one thing I am proud to say on the record is, and I like to think my specifically my, my, the last two years of my client base would tell you, I like to think so. I'm really trying to help clients cultivate their own sense of self-awareness, like really strong sense of self-awareness. That's ultimately what it comes down to. You don't want me telling you what to do for the rest of your life. If you have a specific fat loss goal, you want Shane Walsh telling you, your macros, your calories, what to eat, how to do it, what's trained, blah, blah, blah. that's a fantastic goal and you should absolutely do it if you want to. But that goal comes on a bedrock of self-awareness and knowing when it's good for you, doesn't it? Yeah, I think, I think what has to be done, like if someone comes to me for, say, a fitness photo shoot, well, then it's going to be a very different approach to someone who's yo-yo dieted all their life. It's going to be a very, very different approach. So you have to build something to the person rather than the rather than something else. And I think where you mentioned language, my clients will be like, Shane talks about language an awful lot. Not that I call them out, but I'm kind of like, just be careful of the wording that you're using. You're using negative connotations towards yourself. Catch yourself before, like if you're very, very tired, you're having a particular time of the month or whatever like that, the state, the mental capacity, you're, you fall back into old habits really, really quickly. They're the bits that I try to are the pillars for me as a coach when I'm working with someone is right. What have they got already? What can I hone in on what they do already? So say if they have a coffee every morning. All right. So in my head, I'm like, right, let's try and get some fruit. Let's try and get a glass of water in there already. They don't necessarily have, as you said, they don't necessarily have to have breakfast first thing in the morning because my, I myself, I don't really eat until like 10 a.m. My body just, I have a banana and a cup of coffee or like, and, I, and my vitamins and my water before 10 o'clock. And I've never really had a breakfast thing. But when I was a PT, it was like, well, I've been up since 5 a.m. I might as well have my breakfast at like 8 a.m. But now it's kind of like a little bit more, it's a little bit different. But if someone wants to have breakfast and it fits their routine, amazing. Everyone's going to have a different routine. And then when people are coming in at their parents, routine can go haywire. I think it's about stepping stepping back and not beating yourself up for not being army regimented. It's about saying, right, I haven't had breakfast yet. I'm feeling peckish, pausing and saying, right, am I, what's going to be the most nutritious food or what's going to be the, the best thing I can have right now that will fill me up until I go for the next meal? And educating yeah. people how to do that rather than saying, right, here's your chicken and broccoli, work away. Chicken and broccoli diets, diets don't work for most people. For 99.9% of the people in the world, chicken and broccoli doesn't work. Meal plans don't work. And I think you, you're anti-meal plan. or not anti-meal plan, but you don't give them out. And I don't, I, don't, I don't even give them out to my beginners anymore. I'd rather converse with my clients on the phone and help them construct a structure that helps them. 
it's it's something I feel a bit strong about, just because maybe it's a bit biased. Maybe I can't remove my own bias, but I just know how black and white thinker I used, what a black and white thinker I used to be. I also do think, and I would love to know if I'm right or wrong on this. Maybe I'd love to know if your listeners agree with me. I really would. Um, so if you're listening to this and you take exception to it, do let me know. But I think there's mass confusion between, say, a, a genuinely, decently nutritious diet for general health and weight management, just kind of ticking boxes to, to just be happy and healthy in an almost autopilot manner day to day. And we've conflated that with, well, if I'm not eating in line with like fitness models of personal trainers, then it's quote unquote failure. There's such a big gulf between that. I hope I'm making that kind of clear. Like all you need is, in my opinion, is some degree of calorie control or portion control or portion awareness, whatever you want to call it. And then incorporate that into your life, <clears throat> into your lifestyle to start maintaining weight in the long run, because I can, as certain as I am, the sun will come up tomorrow. There is a massive difference between when you're helping people with obesity versus when you're helping people, for example, just drop that little bit of body fat through accountability. They're not the same thing. And I think we've almost conflated or certainly confused what real health and what real fitness and what real fat loss actually is. Um, and, and I hope I'm coming across clear with that, Shane, because I don't know if the, you know, no, like, when I was a 6% bodybuilder, or sorry, physique athlete, I was eating the chicken and broccoli diet because I didn't have a lot of wiggle room in my nutrition to get down to a certain body fat. But now as general, I'm, I'm as general population as can be at the minute. I am, I absolutely am, no doubt about it. I love a few pints and all that stuff. And now my diet is extremely flexible, but I also love my meals. Like I love my salmon and potatoes and I love my nutritious meals and I love my fruits and I love things like that. So, you know, I'm not sitting here saying this is so easy. But once you start to get into habits and patterns that really do support it, then flexibility is a lot easier to incorporate. But you've had to go through that to figure that out. I think a lot of people aren't prepared to necessarily walk the journey in order to get to figure that out for themselves. Um, and that's not a sweeping statement. I've been there as well. I thought I needed to look a certain way as a PT. We were talking about this off air. Uh, if you paid me a million quid to do a fitness photo shoot ever again, I wouldn't accept it. Um but I think you need to look at the approach that's worked or that has you've tried to adopt for yourself before and say, right, this hasn't worked. So something needs to be tweaked. You've 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 learned that you've you've been the bodybuilder, you've been up on stage in the town and all, all that kind of stuff. And over time you've added little pillars to what what kind of like intuitive eating or an every a normal day of eating would look like for you. But you also leave in the drinks you also leave in the chocolate or the crisps whatever it may be but for, i think for a lot of people is they try to potentially go from a to z rather than going from a to b and our job as coaches is to go from a to b b to c c to d whatever that looks like some people may skip a to e or whatever it may be but i think it's important to kind of like you'll learn stuff about yourself when you go on a diet but it's about being self-aware of what hasn't worked. If you're going back to the same diet every January and it has never worked for you, there's either something wrong with the diet or the approach that you are taking with, I'm going to take out chocolate. I'm going to take out carbs. I'm going to take out fun. Like that's not a way to live. A diet means short term in the dictionary, but most people are like, I have to, like, I they have to kind of like, I always need to be on something. I need to have, be attached to a label. It's like, that's another societal norm that is out there that we need to try and remove. And I don't think it's going to get removed anytime soon because it's, there's too much money in the fitness industry. There's too many gimps in the industry. 
Well, well, an empowered customer is, is no longer an open wallet. Um, but I, I, that was the, one of the questions I asked myself in 2015 when I was stuck in these patterns I didn't want to be. I said, why, why am I on the, on the plan or off the plan? Why am I on the, that was the question I asked myself. I'm quite a reflective person and I'll always reflect on, you know, where I'm going. But back then in 2015, it was the debilitating cycle of my life is the mentality of on and off the plan as opposed to, you know, tweak to suit the stage of life that I was in when they're not the same thing. But I do believe it's a really nice thing to get to a level whereby the behaviors themselves are indeed the rewards. I was thinking about this this morning when I was going to my Spanish class. So I set myself a little target in 2020 of learning Spanish and I followed through with it. And I didn't quite reach the level that I was expecting to hit. I thought I would get super fluent and I didn't get it. I'm, I'm decent. I'm not bad, but I'm not like, I wouldn't comfortably slot into Spain now and understand every word that I hear, but I can speak. And like someone actually highlighted to me the other day that I'm better than I give myself credit for it. And I was like, how do you know? And they said, well, you and your teacher, you're not exactly talking about the weather. You were debating the whether socialism or capitalism is better in society. And I was like, yeah, when you say it like that, I guess it's kind of true. Um, but, but for me, the process of that, the behaviors in themselves are the reward. I love sitting down and I love spitting over my own words and saying things are ways. And God only knows what my poor teacher, Angela, does be listening to if that's coming out of my mouth. But she's patient and she's nice and she makes me feel good about it. And if she was shaming me for being stupid, it wouldn't be a particularly pleasant experience. And the, the actual process of going to her classes one-on-one makes me very happy because then as I move towards that goal, they make me super happy. And I actually, it has really reconnected me to this idea that having, having things away from fitness and dieting is super, super important. Hobbies, hobbies, something simple that I will often ask the client, like, what do you do for yourself? What do you yeah. do for yourself? What do you spend your spare time doing? What do you do when your partner's away? What do you do for yourself? What's the last time you're in there? Like, what does the little boy or little girl in you like to do? What did they like to do? And I guess for me, I was never a good learner in school. I, you know, I, I never saw the value in it and I was stubborn, but there's no point learning algebra. I'm happy with the F, go away. And now I guess as an adult, the inner child in me never saw the value in learning. And now I love it. I love it so much. So I have a hobby away from fitness completely. It's away from my body. It's away from how I look away from how I eat and it's really deeply intrinsically meaningful so it's something that I encourage a lot of people to really reassess when's the last time you did something and made it a part of your routine that's away from this dieting malarkey and and and, and makes you happier and really soothes the soul and for me it is learning a language nerdy and all as that sounds but for others it could be sports it could be five aside book clubs Orla did a book club for a little while my girlfriend could be anything and it's a really nice thing to have away from this obscene obsession we all have with dieting because we're all going to have bad body image days. We're all going to have days where we get frustrated, days where we're a little bit in fuck it mode. Um, and that's perfectly normal and it's perfectly natural. I actually think we probably rely, spend too much time thinking about it because perhaps we actually lack a life away from the gym or from fitness or from food or from dieting or from fat loss. So, yeah, hobbies. Hobbies, man. Hobbies are a big thing. And I think, particularly with what's going on here in Ireland, I don't know, but like the thing for me to chill out would be like to have the book like if i have my i sit down every morning before i do any work is like 30 minutes to 60 minutes of reading and that is my chill time that's before the madness starts of turning on my phone turning on social media doing podcasts whatever it may be if i have that locked in the rest of the day is a win doesn't matter what else is thrown at me something may trigger me or whatever it may be but if I've learned something from those 30 pages or 20 pages, whatever it may be, depends how fast I'm reading, well, then I've bettered myself to 
better than it was yesterday. And it just has to be one word, it has to be one phrase or whatever it may be. But I think a lot of people struggle with when they go off, as you've said, and you always talk about, you can, you can, you're never off plan if you're never on plan. But I think a lot of people struggle with the empathetic side of it. It's like, right, I'm gonna, because I've had one bad day, this will bring up the whole thing of the what the hell effect, which I read recently. And I was like, this sounds very like Mr. Dermody. Why is Mr. <laughs> Dermody in a book already? Uh, Kelly McGonagall. What book was it? Uh, Maximum Willpower by Kelly McGonagall. You said that. Sorry, you mentioned it. Um, and I was like, at the start, before the podcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. There for those who think I'm going crazy, <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is because ve- I because I was listening to yourself and uh, Steve uh, talking about it, and I was I was like, this it wasn't in my head. This was from Max. I, so I think when people tend to lose sight of what they actually want and they of what their actual goal is and they potentially have one less nutritious meal or so-called less nutritious meal i think that's where the the lines get blurred a little bit that they tend to from my experience some people can when they generally have lost what their goal actually was that's when things get a little bit blurred and get pulled left, right and center because they're listening to too much outside noise from Instagram. They're listening to parents or sisters or everybody that's saying, well, why are you trying this diet? Why are you not trying this diet? But I think it's important to say, right, if you have your goal, give it, I don't know, six, eight weeks and see how you feel. And then you can readapt from there because you can't always be on the diet. Something has to give. It also depends on what you have to lose. If someone comes to me and they have, I don't know, say 70 kilos to lose, that's going to be very, very different. We may have to go aggressive in order to have a, an epiphany win for their head. But if someone is coming to me to literally tighten up or get into a bikini and they potentially just need to tweak a few things or look a little bit stronger, that's going to be a very different approach. But it's about locking in the goal. I think too many people have the idea of weight loss, but they don't necessarily like the the practicalities that are being or the behaviors towards it. I don't know. I could be speaking out of turn here. No, I don't think you're speaking out of turn at all. Um, quite a bit to unpack there. Very interesting points you make. I mentioned to you just before we went on on air that I thought a lot of say business coaching yeah. that we see online these days is, in my opinion, it's literally pulling the personality out of people. Um, it's actually I, I love the quote unquote climb. I love the struggle. Now I've been very fortunate to have uh, one Brian Keane in my life, and for that I'm extremely grateful. Uh, but like since then, for example, I have been, made it almost a priority to embrace the struggle and make sure that. Um, anything that I go through in terms of difficulty that I learn how to face so that that's a skill I acquire because I don't want my personality or myself to diminish. Right. And I talked about how, you know, you can almost tell who's working, what, what business coach, by the way, their Instagram bio looks, you know, the tagline and the, you know, the cliche and the, 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 and that's fine. Like do your thing. No, no knock on anyone. It's just, to me, it's just uh, like, you know, I'm not seeing your personality. And I suppose, I don't know if general clients would know that, but I want to know the person. When I, when I talk to someone, I want to know the personality. I want to know the person. I do think the personality gets taken out a lot of us. I also believe if you're talking about a client base, <clears throat> I believe that a lot of us have had our internal cues coached, if you will, dieted out of us to the point we have left 
we're left a little bit out of touch with how genuinely hungry and satiated we are. We lack a little bit of self-trust. I also think we lack that connection with food. Food is a number of things. Food is wonderful. Like when I'm, when I'm at home cooking, I cook every evening and it takes me about 15 minutes. It doesn't take long. You don't call me Gordon Ramsay just yet, Shano. I'm, I'm not quite there. But I, I love my meals. They're 15 minutes long. They're always, it, basically the variation of it depends on the spice or the gravy I use. But they're tasty and they're yummy and they're delicious and they're nutritious. And, and I love them. They're, like, I wouldn't change it. And they also contribute to a healthy lifestyle and yada, 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 yada. So I'm, I'm very, very happy with that. But food is so many different things. Like when I'm on a date with Orla, food is romantic connection. When I am in Vietnam eating God knows what in District 3, food on, on the side of a street, food is... You know, it's culture and it's travel and it's experience. And it's someone in a language that I can't understand handing me food I can't recognize and smiles everywhere. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Food is fuel to my gym sessions. Food is weight management to my body goals. Food is taste and savory all the time, as far as I'm concerned. It's so many different things. And I love it. I love all of those different roles. And I nearly feel we cannot lose the balance, you know, between that external understanding of, yeah, calories exist. Like, you're not defying the calorie rule. But don't forget the internal. Don't forget how you feel, like what connection you get with it, the taste, preparing your old healthy, hearty meals. Like, you can sit down for 15 minutes at some point in the day and taste a nice meal. You absolutely can. You know, I know a lot of us are in such a hurry and, and Maybe we grew up in certain ways where maybe that wasn't how we were influenced. I, I, I understand it. Nobody empathizes and has more compassion more than me. But you can consciously change that. And if you have no desire, like fair respect, totally. It just seems to me a lot more logical that if you're going to spend years of your life where you're, for example, something about a body weight would consume you or health, health, forget body weight, screw body weight. I don't care about body weight. Health would concern you. I always think it's just best not to lose that connection with food. There has to be a way, in my opinion, to get three delicious, nutritious, healthy, satisfying, satiating meals into you a day. It leaves you room for the odd snack or two and maybe a lovely indulgence in the evening if you so want it. Um, but just going back to my original point, losing our personality, losing our internal cues, our internal sense of self, the biggest disservice we're all doing ourselves with dieting. Yeah, I, I think... Well, you've said there about kind of like hunger, emotion, feeling. Those lines are so blurred. I think it's one, I don't know if we can define what we're feeling, but, and we go towards food to define or to work around that feeling for some people. Everyone emotionally eats, doesn't matter what it is. So when you're happy or you're celebrating, you go for dinner. If you want to be romantic, you're you're going out for dinner to be romantic and to be present. But then it's kind of like there's also some people will attack it through in a negative lens is when they're sad or they're emotional to go for food. We've been brought up with kind of like the media. If you look at the movies and someone gets dumped or gets someone gets broken up with, you see the girl or the lads just eating ice cream, crying into the tub of ice cream. We're brought up through that lens. And I don't think we necessarily know how to deal with that. We've been that's been put into our brains, into our psyche for so long, but we don't necessarily know how to deal with that. We all emotionally eat. Doesn't, whoever says it is a robot, but the lines are so, so blurred. And I think we need to bring the lines in a little bit. And I think if someone can identify and just pause and say, right, have I eaten my three meals? 
There's nothing to do with your three meals of like, oh, my metabolism will get damaged or any of that rubbish. It's literally just to keep your blood sugars level so that you don't go and want to eat the wall 20 seconds later. That's the main basis behind it. It's nothing to do with your metabolism. So if you can get your three meals in and then, right, I'm going to have a little bit of ice cream in the evening. When, when, when the penny drops for a lot of clients about the three meals a day, they're like, I've never been fuller. I've never eaten more food before. And you're like, but you're just being more consistent with it. You're being nicer to yourself and saying, right, I'm being more in tune with your hunger. Because I don't think necessarily we know what hunger is in the, third, in, 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 this, in the first world country. I personally don't think we do. I, I'm with you. Um, I often think if, if, you're, if someone put a gun to my head and said, don't eat for two weeks, I'd do it because the incentive is strong enough. Uh, but if you told me to go a day without food just today here in Ho Chi Minh City, no strong enough incentive. So, so I absolutely do agree with you. Um, and I, I do, I want people to be able to foster that sense of self-awareness. Ultimately, you know, you're talking about the, the meals a day and I, and I agree with that. They're great guidelines. I want us all to eradicate. So I hope everybody is able to eradicate this kind of black and white thinking, this kind of all good, all bad, on the diet, off the diet. And then this kind of, I don't want to say extremism. Um, well, it can be a form of extremism in terms of, you know, the catastrophic action versus like all perfect. But you know, there's no definable, I can't remember who I heard say this, there's no definable version of clean eating. Clean eating isn't a definable term. Like perfection doesn't exist. The idea of this kind of perfect structure it doesn't exist. And like, I keep going back to these relatively vague guidelines of no black and white and extremes and yada, 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 yada. But they are the common things that I see. I, I do think most people have heard the advice time and time again. Uh, I just don't actually think most people have been given the permission to be imperfect so that they can finally embrace consistency time and time again. I don't That's think people, where I'm coming from. I don't think people have been given the instruction either to embrace consistency in that they've been said, right, this is what the diet is, but they necessarily haven't been given and how to implement it. In that they're yeah. given a piece of paper, here's a meal plan, go and eat chicken and broccoli three times a week or three times a day. Sense of, urg- sense of urgency immediately, isn't there? Yeah, and then you're like, you're not actually taught as a human. So that's why I'm not a, I'm not a meal plan coach. Paul's not a meal plan coach. And there's nothing wrong with meal plan coaches. If you're looking to step on a beach in six, day, six weeks, by all means, go for it. But if someone who has the yo diet all their life, a meal plan isn't going to fix what's potentially going on phys- psychologically or emotionally around like that. And I think it's about understanding the internal as and then, then that will kind of eventually come along with external wins. You got to embrace the internal struggles and internal kind of things they have on a daily basis and being able to say to yourself, right, am I actually hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Have I a shit day at work? Have I had a fight with my partner? And kind of say, right, what can I do to kind of, what's my, what can I do to counteract this? That's not going to be food. Could I take it something as simple as a big deep breath in and an exhale? That's what works for myself personally, that if I know I'm getting triggered by something, I'll just go, right, take a big deep breath in. The shoulders will drop straight away. My heart rate will slow down. The one thing that we have control over is our breathing. When we get stressed, we get anxious, we go with this. But if you take a big deep breath in for four seconds and big deep breath in for four seconds, the shoulders will drop down, your breathing will become shallower and you'll feel a hell of a lot more relaxed. But too many people are just like, 
I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. Well, rather than trying to take the first step, whatever that first step looks like. Yeah, and, you know, the first step is, is often difficult for many of us because I think we're skeptical, man. I think I'm only basing this off my client feedback. Um, but a lot of my clients have told me that when you said, you know, I could eat pizza, or when you said I could eat chocolate, or when you said I could go for a few drinks or pizza and not compensate through exercise, I didn't believe you. In my last, my last, I know you're, you're very into your client podcast because yeah. they can be life-changing. And, and my last few client podcast episodes, you know, it's all been the same thing. It's when you first told me X, I was very skeptical. I had to try this and apply it and see it for myself. So there's that almost sense of just being a human. Uh, we're all human and we all have our own struggles unique to where we are. And, you know, we, the old philosophy, I think it's young of until we make the unconscious conscious, it'll guide our lives and we'll call it fate. And, you know, food is something we'll need till the day we die. And if you're skeptical around food, and I'm basing this off my experience as a coach to the level you lack that self-trust, it's going to be very difficult to get the relationship with food that you want in the first place. That would see you hone in on those, you know, just forget fat loss goals, just get to that place where food doesn't consume your every waking mind. I just remember those days that I used to wake up and food was my every waking thought. And if I fucked the rules, I binged. And if I went into fuck it mode, it was, you know, well, you know, the diet's ruined anyway, bang. And, you know, you're starting a new diet tomorrow. So I say all of this information, not wanting people to have arbitrary body composition goals. I say this understanding that it's actually really difficult to not have sometimes to not have body comp goals or to allow yourself not to have body comp goals or to allow yourself to get away from this idea that fat loss is the highest aim. Maybe it is. Like, maybe it is. I don't know. There's so much context to it. But ultimately, for me, at the beginning of it all, since I, and again, this is my bias because this is a lot of the environment I'm exposed to, it's, I do think it's that little bit of trust or self-trust or maybe trust in me around the fact that people can begin to incorporate things like bread that are fine. Like, and this is my opinion that it's fine. That's like 100 calories a slice. It's fine. Things like bread, things like fruit, things like chocolate, things like pizza. Incorporate them healthily back into a diet and trust yourself to know that like, this food is a very easy food to overeat. So I'm consciously choosing to have a set amount, knowing that food will always be there. And I want, once I decide that food will always be there, like that's something I, I've said on my podcast quite a bit because I remember Orla said it to me. Like when I started dating Orla, um, I remember I was cracking into a big tub of ice cream and I was about to open the second. And we're, we're dating five minutes at this stage and I'm already showing her my, what I had normalized eating disorder tendencies or distorted eating tendencies, but they were normalized in my head. I didn't think I was doing anything strange. I felt shit, but in my mind, I was fine. And she just kind of said to me casually, she said some variation of, you know, food will always be there. And what's that second tub doing? Or what's that second thing doing? The first one didn't satisfy. And it was like a punch to the face. Because I'd never asked myself that kind of question before. It sounds, it sounds trivial now, six years ago. Back then it was like, wow, like you're, you're right. I have not thought enough about this. I've just been hoovering it like it's going out of fashion. Food will always be there. That tub of ice cream would have been on the shelf on Monday, on Wednesday, on Friday, on Saturday, and in 80 years. And for that reason, I just actually kind of went, huh. And I put it back in the fridge. And I, it sounds silly now, but it was a life-changing moment from the way it impacted me, my coaching philosophy, because I have, I believe in my hand to heart. I've, I've helped clients start their own journey by just asking them to put the last Kinder Egg back in the fridge after they're finished with the Kinder Eggs or put the last 10 Smarties or however, you know, put, put the last one back in the fridge. Trust yourself enough to do it. 
and sometimes trust you enough to say no in the knowledge you can always have it again in the future. And these little things have been so massive in terms of building self-trust. You know, you start keeping a small promise to yourself. One last tiny tangent, Shano, and I promise I will let you speak. Thank you, man. But, but like, even even I, I set myself a small promise three years ago that I was going to drink a glass of water upon waking. And it sounds almost too simple to have any profound impact, but that glass of water wakes me up. It's good not to have coffee first thing in the morning, anyway, but the glass of water wakes me up. You know, it just makes me immediately feel good because I've kept the first small promise of the day. You know, I'm out straight into the kitchen. Glass of water has been in the fridge all night anyway. So it's just, it's on autopilot now. That sets me up. My breakfast is nutritious. I want to move more because I've kept my first two promises of a healthy breakfast. Like I, my other promise to myself is I'll always have a healthy breakfast. So if I go PT, which I PT one of my ladies here twice a week at 6 a.m., sometimes her maids bring cookies to the gym and I won't have it. And it sounds... It sounds a bit extreme, but it's 8 a.m. at this time or 7 a.m. And my promise is I'll push breakfast back, but I want something relatively nutritious. Nothing perfect, but I don't have sweets for breakfast. And then my third small promise to myself is move it every day, whether it's a one-minute walk or 2,000 push-ups. A one-minute walk or 2,000 push-ups, I'll move every day. And they're the three promises that technically I should be able to keep if I was locked away in prison on my worst day. And they've, they've changed my life. They actually have changed my life. The philosophy is that food will always be there. You know, I can always say yes and I can always say no to certain foods, you know, keeping small promises and building trust with myself, having some of the bar and putting some of the bar back in the fridge. I've put some of these things on my Instagram story and people have messaged me going, that is brilliant. And I'm thinking, I remember when I thought this is brilliant when it was new information to me. Like it, it was a life changer. It was a game changer for me. And it's now part of my identity. And now I don't even think about it anymore. And I'm passionately trying to help clients get to that because it is so much nicer to have someone come to you and go, okay, I'm ready for it now. I'm ready to get stronger or fitter or ready to go into fat loss because I get it now. I understand this. I'm ready. And that to me is much more gratifying than your cookie cutter. Here's your meal plan. Go fuck yourself. I think what you've said there about kind of like when you said about, oh, this is too good to be true, that they don't trust what you're saying. You're kind of like, I've never heard this before, but I know I've heard some elements of it before. And I've never tried it because it always sounded too kind of flashy, shiny object syndrome in relation. You have to be very, Shane, you have to be very deliberate about it. Like when I'm getting clients to incorporate a little bit first time, just for context, I'll keep it super quick. Sometimes I'll get them to sit with their favorite thing, whether it's biscuit, chocolate, cake, you name it, and break it into chunks and then sit and savor yeah. every single bite. Yeah. Yeah, no, and there's an amazing book called the joy, of half, uh, the joy of Half a Cookie, which talks about that beautifully with chocolate. And from working with 99% females, I value my life too much from not from my girls not having chocolate every day. Uh, and so I work with them big time on, right, let's try and work what you enjoy into what you want to have, rather than saying you can't have this, because you can't have this hasn't worked before. So why would I try? You're coming to me for a reason. So why not try? Because I want, when someone finishes with me, I want it to be either the last diet they've gone on or I want them to leave in a better place than they've left and say, right, I've got into my dress. I've got into my wedding dress. I've got into my bikini. I've never felt better. Or I had some, I had a lady who was getting ready for her 50th birthday and I put up a transformation yesterday and you wouldn't think, like I'm not ageist at all, but you wouldn't think she was 50. Um, but I think it's like food will always be there. It will. Food will always be there. We have to adapt. 
it's as up coaches. To, no, I think as people, I think as we people. have to adapt to the abundance because there's always going to be money, and we've had to adapt and saying, right, I may not have this in my bank account, which is a similar analogy to what we say when we're calorie counting. But I think when people see food, they're like, or they go to a buffet, they're like. It's like an like a naughty school child comes into your head and like I'm gonna press this button here and just go boom, without actually pausing. Like you've you've got your non-negotiables, which is glass of water, move even one minute a day or two thousand push-ups, whatever it may be. Once you have those locked in, and nothing else can throw you off, it's like one good win goes into another good win, goes into another good win, and those over time are what builds the momentum. If you start off the day not amazing, then it's the whole diet starts Monday mentality comes in. Yeah, it's hard when you start the day chasing. Those small promises have been been life-changing. But you are right when you say, I thought you meant as coaches, as humans, we do need to recalibrate. Um, like you, you might, You'll have your own personal values in life, just like, you see, mine right now is when the borders open, I want to travel the world. And I do, I want to travel the world. And there's no way... I'm going to say no to any of the culture's foods based on things like calorie content, which sounds a bit silly, but when I was younger, it would have cost me a ferocious amount of anxiety. And that's my values. They're mine, but they won't be everybody's. Not everybody wants to try. People look at my Instagram and think, how the hell do you live in 30 degree heat? And I'm looking back on how the hell do you live in one degree winters? (laughs) Yeah, whatever it is. But that's just me. That's who I am. Like my parents hate the idea. That will be their nightmare to live in the sun. So we have different values yeah, and we have different, yeah. yeah. And it's going to be very important that, you know, you don't want to live like me. If you live like me and you're my client, we're going to Barcelona matches when I'm back in Europe, you know, we're doing things that have revolved around a lot of football and a lot of things. So you don't want my idea of what a good budget looks like. You want to understand the governing principle and then you want that little bit of self-trust. I think we have a bad relationship with time, Shano. I think, I think we actually have a bad, we underestimate just how long, oh God, hopefully hopefully that we're all going to live and yeah. like we leave until our last breath I, I like i wanted to feel good about myself five years ago and now i'm 30 and i definitely want to feel good in 60 more years it's it's a, it's a thing i'm i want people to think about just that bit more just that bit more you know we the relationship with time i think yeah i think time is a huge thing because I think one of my pet peeves is if someone says, I don't have time, that's an identity. That's a sentence and that you identify with so that, you're, like, that your routine or your life is completely different to someone else's. But do you, think, do you think as coaches, we put people off by being like, but you definitely do have time. It's not a priority. Do you I've think changed. it pushes people away as, a, as opposed to asking people? Uh, I've definitely... I've definitely changed the tack. I remember when I first started, I was like, I'm a bro. I must say this. Me too. But I think now it's kind of like when the person comes to me, it's kind of like I look at what they have in their day, what a normal day would look like for them, either work-wise or obviously now with people who are working from home or whatever it may be, and kind of say, right, you are saving yourself on an hour and a half, two-hour commute each day. There's two hours there somewhere. The kids may need to get ready for homeschooling and that could take an hour depending on how of a much of a maggot they're acting. And you must say to yourself, right, I can create this 
time for me, even if it's like, as Paula said, one minute. Start off with one minute. Start off with one pound. Rather than trying to aim for 20 minutes, trying to, trying to aim for 20 kilos weight loss. If someone says to me that they don't have time, it's kind of like you have your, it's just that you don't value your time enough, your own personal time enough. You've got your work calendar worked for you. You've got your social life worked for you. You've got your kid's time worked for you, which is absolutely nothing to do, nothing wrong with that. You just value those more than putting yourself first. And I think that can sound dickheadish. Some people don't like that, but it's about saying to yourself, right, I don't think a lot of people know what their true values are. I think a lot of people are going along. I've been there. I did that for so long. I, we were talking off air about kind of working in the corporate world. Um, I was absolutely miserable going for the corporate world. I was working for other people, living off paycheck to paycheck, going out in the piss all the time, not looking after myself. I ended up probably about 12, 13 kg overweight than I normally would be sitting at. And I was like, well, I'm not really living to what I want to do. But what I, my big thing is I don't want someone to have to go through the mental turmoil, the getting sick to figure that out. But sometimes it takes shit times to see good times. And I think that's what Corona is teaching us in that people took things for granted and hopefully when things open back up, whenever that may be, that they are coming out a little bit more in line with what they, what they want to do rather than being dictated with what society says. Yeah, and I definitely hope hope that that is true, that people can hone in certainly on a stronger set of values. It's definitely the kind of thing that when I was a bit younger, I would have been the first to interrupt and be like, oh, you do have time. It's just not a priority. <laughs> and I still believe it, but that's no different than telling somebody, like, wh- why should I have the power to tell somebody that in, in a sense that if you were to flip it back and challenge me on certain things that I don't see. I ultimately think that we're the architects of our own future, future in a sense, and we're going to need to sit down and, you know, whether it's with pen and paper, whether it's with thoughts, it's not going to come until the change is deeply intrinsic. Uh, I don't think it's going to come unless, unless there's a true, genuine desire. Like I said earlier about this, for me in the Spanish and maybe for someone else and a, and a behavioral change around food, but the behavior in itself needs to be its own form of a reward. And I've seen that, I really have seen that as one of the biggest difference with clients. You know, I have a male I'm working with now and I, I love the guy, I, I really do. If he's listening to this, he'll know who he is based on the fact that we talk about masculinity and emotional vulnerability all the time and he makes jokes to me saying that if I would have tried to talk to him about that a year ago he'd have punched my teeth out that's how macho he was you know jokingly and now we love talking like he loves talking about feelings and tears and but he's he's just so himself and he's not consumed anymore by this idea of weight loss and he was at the start he absolutely was he's not anymore and he's a really good template to me of someone who, again, like I go back to, it's not the outcome that's the reward, it's the behaviors that he can live with for the rest of his life. And when you see that intrinsic change in a human, it's like they're self-guiding themselves. I'm just the swimming instructor. They're in the pool splashing. They're splashing. So they get the credit, they get the medal, they get the whatever you call it, they get all the fruits of the work. I'm just walk, walking along the pool to make sure everything goes well. But like, it takes me the same amount of distance to get across the pool, but I'm strutting step for step. You know, they're the ones splashing and kicking and yeah. having to do all the swimming. And that's very important to me. It is a bit like, you know, we can give all the advice we want, 
But if someone's not in a place to accept that advice, we have to accept that it's a bit like telling someone who can't swim to just kick harder, just splash harder. And it's something I've really, really come around to in the last couple of years, certainly with having a lot more clients now and a lot wider of a client base is I'm a lot stupider than I thought I was, Shane. And it's been the biggest revelation for me. And the idea of doing wrong by a client now is the thing that keeps me up at night more, more than anything. So I don't always get it right. Oh, it's shut your mouth unless you absolutely know that what you say is going to be better than if it was left unsaid. And it's become such a better pillar for my coaching service because I can, not that I can do this, but I've noticed people often verbalize themselves around to their own illogical trains of thought to get themselves on the straight and narrow. And then you can be like, yes, like, yes, absolutely. Logical train of thought. Great piece of input or great effort today. And, you know, it's sincere encouragement. It's not me playing up the rent and it's sincere encouragement. I have no problem telling the, the bitter truth when I'm asked. But I think that's what it comes down to when I'm asked for it, because nobody wants to be med- belittled. Like on a slight segue, do you notice that a lot of the, the language used around fitness, it's like it only became apparent to me in the last couple of years. Like, it is quite a, a shaming narrative yeah. in a sense, in many, in many senses. I'm not on PC. I still think we all need to toughen up a little bit, like, you know, relax on the old PC culture. Nobody's going to change because some dickhead guilts somebody into it from their, you know, position of looking better. High ground. Um, that's something I've noticed. Yeah, high ground. I I 100% agree because I think, I also think you also need to go through that yourself in relation to having done it for the wrong reason and then taking a step back and being aware enough to say, right, that wasn't me. And that was me with the photo shoot. I was like, I need to be a certain way to be a PT. And I ne- I wouldn't be the tallest. I wouldn't be the largest PT in the world. But I would be comfortable in my own skin now that and I, I, I haven't been able to say that for a very long time. But I would be comfortable enough in my own skin now that I would be comfortable enough going into the gym now. Even, because before being a PT, I wouldn't have gone into the gym really in relation to oh, I have to look a certain way. I have to be fit to go into the gym. And so many people get caught up on that. And that's understandable because it's fear holding us back. We're looking for a certainty what we're going to do is going to work this time. And we're letting our old mentalities and our old kind of ideologies hold us back from where we want to actually go. We're scared. And as soon as one thing goes off, we're like, nope, I'm gone. But I think if you can kind of say to yourself, right, I forgot what I was going to say, but I think if you can, if you've, if you've walked the walk and said, right, this approach didn't work for me and you've learned a lesson from that, bring it on to the next one. Don't just keep doing the same one all the time and then never learning because you're never going to change. You're never, if you want to change, that is. I think that's a big thing is a lot of people don't want to change. And I think they like the idea of change. They like the idea of potentially looking a certain way, but there's no pressure to look a certain way. Uh, Paul would be a different build to me. I'd be a different build to Brian. But all of us are comfortable in our own skin. We all have our kind of insecurities and how we look and all that kind of thing, whatever it may be. But when people look at a PT, they're like, oh, that's what I want. But that shouldn't be what you should be striving for. It should be striving for potentially being a better version of yourself than you were when you woke up or that were you yesterday rather than trying to look like a certain thing that shows up on social media with glutes or quads or an abs 
I can guarantee from my own personal point of view is abs didn't make me happy. I thought abs were going to make me happy when I got them. I looked like something from a troker box. <laughs> no offense to troker boxes. <laughs> well, do you know what, mate? I think, you know, about change, I think PTs as a whole, I think we're the last group of people for the most part you want to base your values off, if I'm entirely honest. We're very insecure. Yeah, I mean, it, it's why a lot of PTs get into the business. And, you know, a lot of us have our identity wrapped up in, in this kind of how we look. And, you know, a lot of us will sacrifice almost everything. I think a lot of us lack that empathy with the, the common client because um, I'm really lucky. And I, I actually had this conversation with Brian. I get a strong emotional connection from food. And I lost that for a couple of years, especially with the competing thing. Now, competing wasn't actually a negative experience in itself for me. But what the void I was trying to fill was if that makes any degree of sense i still remember competing fondly but just i did sacrifice a lot of who i was innately to do it and it just it didn't work for me that life um but it's like a failed relationship there's there's a lot to take from any any context but i get a strong emotional connection with food i love going out for drinks i love going out for food i love going out to restaurants so i'm very lucky that i can relate to my client base on that basis it it it, it gives me that little bit extra empathy that johnny mackerel's doesn't quite have Johnny Mac stick to the plan stick to the macros oh I'm sorry are you training a robot like oh okay that's interesting what what what's the machine consuming today you know I'm not a machine I haven't had set macros and I've never I didn't even track my macros for bodybuilding in in that context I didn't track my calories now, I, I obviously was eating in the deficit I wouldn't have been able to compete without it but there's so much more to coaching real human beings than just macros and calories and looking a certain way. And personal trainers are not, as a whole, they're not what I'd be. I, certainly, I don't see many trainers that I, I don't see many fucking personal trainers. I want to base my personal values off of here. That's for sure. Sounds like a negative. I try not to be negative overtly on podcasts and stuff, but just walk into any gym and you will see almost universally at least one, if not more personal trainers that you immediately know you don't want to be anything like on a personal level. Yeah, I'm not, I I would tend to, like, don't get me wrong. There's always good eggs and a bad bunch or whatever. But I think for a lot of a lot of it is, they understand how what what they what takes for them. They understand what works for them, but they adapt what what training approach like the macros or Johnny macros, and work with every client like that. I remember hearing I heard some I was talking to someone yesterday. And she is saying, oh, I'm struggling to get my protein in and my coach is um, making me have two protein shakes a day and then a small lunch and then a small dinner and I'm not losing any weight. And I'm like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Why are you taking the protein shakes? Because I'm struggling to get protein in. It's like, well, could you get them through like Greek yogurt? It'll be less harder on your digestion system and you won't be as bloated. And she was like, how did you know I was bloated? It's like, Protein's hard to digest. You've got to like say to yourself, right? You could also have a lactose intolerance thing if you're taking weight. It depends. Like so, like, and that's the that's the biggest word that I think I've probably I've learned over the last while is it depends because you can't give a sweeping answer to a client. You can say, right, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. Let's try this. Let's try this and try this. Coaching has to be an element of trying for the coach as well. And I think rather than saying, right, this is a definitive answer, to look like the smartest PT in the world, to look like the greatest PT in the world, I will always hold my hands up if I've got something wrong. I will always hold my hands up if that wasn't the right thing for someone. But it's like, right, what can I learn from this? 
I could have worded that differently or that may not be the right approach for this type of client. If I look back at the way I was coaching six months ago, a year ago, 18 months ago, two years ago, it's chalk and cheese. And there's plenty, plenty of room for me to, to learn. That's why I've got Dallas on now. Dallas has a different, has the same approach, same entity or identity as myself, but it's different languages he uses in order to kind of get a little bit more information out of clients, has a certain style of how to get questions out of clients. And I think you always have to be learning. And I think we're talking off air about taking it quite personally when clients don't necessarily get the result that they're looking for. And I think that used to beat me. I had many a sleepless night as a PT when I first started. But I think it's very hard to step away from it because ultimately like it is Paul Dermody or it is Shane Walsh Fitness or whatever it may be. It is your name. It is your brand. You don't want someone to leave with a bitter taste, but you have to learn from that lesson. You have to learn from what maybe didn't work for them. Was the right approach? Was that person doing what they said they did? You can only take so much of the blame. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. I mean, I agree. You can only take so much of the blame if you're doing your best. The, The times, you know, there's definitely been that time that I've taken on a client in the past where things haven't gone as I would have hoped. And I, I did feel in hindsight that maybe I should have referred out, that maybe I was a little bit out of my depth as such. And obviously I would never do it with mal- malicious intention, but it doesn't matter, you know, that it, it doesn't mean you, don't, you get any less of a sleepless night for it. But it, it does make you a better coach. It makes you more self-aware and it also makes the process of working with people that a little bit more... Um, stringent and that's why i try to be very clear on my messaging now that's why my messaging is very very much less it's about changed. me ideally it's changed yeah it did change it changed a lot it just i got clear on who i felt i could help and who i more importantly who i probably felt i couldn't help and i i, I really do have a wonderful client base i'm really fortunate with the human beings that I, I get to work with on a daily basis and i i do think it, it has come from making my my messaging my marketing more about how i can help the people that need me like you know I, I talked at the start partly because i just think i said i've used the word arrogance twice i'll use it again well other if you knock bad advice that's one thing but when you knock somebody else's opinion on a thing i actually think it's the height of arrogance like yeah. i'm not talking to other trainers and, and you know some other trainers worry about how their business is going so shit and they're debating whether niche or eat is walking and you're like, no wonder your business sucks. You have absolutely no people skills and you just want to be right. But my messaging has become very clear that here are the most common struggles that I encounter as a trainer. Here is how I feel I'm best equipped to help you. And for that reason, I'm trying to make sure that I only ever take on people carefully that I do feel I'm in a good position to help. It is a horrible feeling when you work with somebody and you know, you haven't been able to, essentially, you haven't fulfilled their expectations, really. That's kind of what it comes down to, because I don't think it ever comes down to, certainly not in an ethical coach, I don't think it comes down to, to a lack of, of trying. It's just expectations weren't fulfilled. And I think it's matching expectations, and that's the point of those kind of calls. And I, I like, this may sound arrogant, and I don't want it to come across as arrogant, but if I feel that I'm not the right fit for someone, I won't take them on. And I've no problem referring out. And you, I have like kind of a, a network that I'll put people to if I don't feel I'm a right fit for them. But I think it's being like, we've all made mistakes. We're all human. I think it's like some people think that way if you're in the fitness industry, you're like unbreakable, all that kind of thing. No, it's just like we, some, we just, the biggest thing for me is 
what I have seen is a lack of caring from people in the industry. Don't get me wrong, that's not a sweeping statement, or it is a sweeping statement, should I say. Uh, but I think from having worked on a gym floor for a very long time, the coaches can expect their clients to act exactly like them. They want them to be mini-me's. And I think sometimes the clients can go in thinking that they're going to look like that person. So say if someone has never lifted weights for the, say if a girl goes in and has never lifted weights in her life and their PT is someone who has very strong looking, big quads, big glutes, that they're going to end up looking like that person. They may eventually, but it's not going to happen in three months. So expectations have to be set. Expectations have to be having little goals along the way rather than saying, right, this is what you're going to look like in three months. And you have to set the boundaries. You have to set the barriers along the way for that. And I think that's probably one of the biggest insights that I've had in that I may not be able to help everyone. I have no problem referring out. I'll give whoever wants to work, the whoever whoever's with me and wants to do the work, the most they'll ever get out of me. Um, and I hope that comes across. And I think it comes across for yourself. And I can see that you've changed your tack with your message in relation to you have a unique way of getting your thoughts onto a post and your thoughts onto a caption and that's what is unique to yourself and people will buy into that because it's whether you intend it or not there's an emotional pull into that post and I, you're not one of these coaches that puts out content for content's sake like if I was to look at your... No, I've, I've often gone two weeks without posting because yeah. I have nothing to say. Not that I have nothing to say. It's just it doesn't make the priority list in terms of that day. But yeah, my, my content is true to me. That's the one. Do you know what, Shane? You talk about identity shift. So I, I have a couple of clients who have started Instagram pages. And obviously the advice comes on what do you do if you ever receive negativity or people's opinion or being nervous. And I know that for sure. When I was, when I was nervous about content and posting, it was because... There was an element that wasn't fully authentically me. I mean, I always had the same core message, but I would have taken advice from how to word things on my, even my favorite people, my sister. My sister is an angel. I love her more than I can speak. She is just a beautiful human being and a beautiful soul. But even she's given me advice and I have given her advice that isn't right for each other. And it's not that I'm too pigheaded or stubborn to stop taking advice, but since I've started phrasing content with no intent to offend, with no intent to polarize, but very much true to who I am and what I think I have become very comfortable with that content being accepted or rejected. And I think ultimately that's what it comes down to. It, it's so, and I can hand on heart say it's so it's genuine to who I am, my own experience. You know, so, sometimes this has happened a couple of times, clients or friends have linked me content that's been word for word, my post on someone else's page. And I'm sure that happens to everybody. I, I don't to care. One of your transformations. Yeah, it happened to my transformation last week. So, and I, I screenshotted the fuck out of that because that was just evil. I always think a lot of us are influenced. So I don't mind copying posts, believe it or not. I, but I, the, the transformations was, was just like a bad intention because he was selling a keto diet. But we're all influenceable and I'm definitely influenced. And to sit here and say I'm not influenced would be a lie, absolute lie. But nobody's ever going to be 30-year-old me. Nobody's ever going to have gone through the experiences that 25-year-old me did. Nobody's ever going to have been bulimic 16 year old me nobody can tell that story nobody's going to have the client face i have now nobody's going to have the perspective i have nobody's going to have the beliefs i hold nobody's going to have the experience that the the, the everything that i have so nobody can copy my intrinsic self so you're doing yourself a disservice we're all doing ourselves disservices if we're overly influenced 
and and overly afraid. We we owe it, in my opinion, to ourselves and to society to be our truest, authentic selves, and and almost let the chips fall as they lay. Because it's a lot nicer to be challenged and judged and critiqued for who you really believe you are, at the heart and core and soul. And this isn't easy to do. This took me years. It's not an overnight job. But now you go onto my content, and you like happened recently where I said, you know, there's no difference between taking 50 bucks out of the ATM at six as there is at 8 p.m. Same with carbs, no sweat. And someone went through me in my DMs going, you uh, don't understand the biomechanical process. And I was like, you, my friend, have never worked with 100 clients at a time, so go away. And it is very hard to get human beings, wonderful, fantastic, lovely human beings, adherent to nutrition protocol at the best of times, never mind throwing all this garbage at them about, you know, hormonal spiels if they don't need to know it it's overkill simplicity my friend is the ultimate sophistication we hear time cristiano ronaldo said that alex ferguson the genius was a simplicity go and win the game everyone knows go and win the game but alex ferguson could say it in a way that ronaldo listened and if ronaldo is saying simplicity is the ultimate sophistication i believe da vinci said it first i'm going to listen to them not some bellend with a bachelor of science degree telling me to complicate my content even more what a, <laughs> I know I'm tangent there, but like the, the whole identity thing and the content thing is when something's unique and true to you and you truly believe it and it's got good intentions and good ethics and you do believe it's adding good to the world, it, the, the, judge, the fear of judgment just goes away. It just subsides for me personally. It's because I'm not oversharing anything personal. So if you're critiquing me, you're critiquing information that I have with a decent amount of evidence and a lot of personal experience and some personal anecdotes. And if I'm wrong, fantastic. More information. I can, like, we were talking off air about it. Um, that I, I just don't particularly want to go up on stories anymore because I felt I was trying yeah. to give off an alter ego of something else that it wasn't. I may go up on stories again, who knows? But right now in this chapter, I don't particularly want to. I have no problem. I, I prefer written Q&As because people can hold and read it rather than actually having to listen to a D4 accent rabbit on on a Q&A and you can also only get 15 seconds in on a Q, on a story as well so rather than having boom 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 I'd rather have you have the answer in one place um, I may do IGTVs but for now it's kind of like but I think I had to go through that I was trying to be something else that I didn't want to be I was trying to live up to what society potentially wanted from a coach or a PT and I've been advised from by people who have had on the on the podcast about trying to get up more on stories. And I was kind of like, well, this isn't sitting right with me. If, if, if it's a felt, if it felt right with me, I would be doing it. And I shouldn't see it as a chore. I shouldn't see it as a negative. And I think that's completely bring it back into 180 with the fitness side of stuff. If you're seeing it as a chore, it's not the right approach. Like obviously there's going to be days when you don't want to do things. Well, I agree when you see fitness as a chore why i kind of go back to trying to do it in the most calm relaxed and peaceful peaceful states are possible which again sounds easy to say but you know i i think when you're when you're in a peaceful state those chores just seem a lot less difficult as opposed to when there's that urgency i think when you're living by your values living by what you and your moral compass things just kind of click when they're meant to things come along people come into your life when when they're meant to and i think that's definitely hit me uh, without going too um, wishy-washy or whatever. Um, but definitely when I've been living by what I want to do rather than what other people have told me what to do. If I had told people, if I had listened to what other people told me to do, there would be no podcast. 
if I listened to other people, I would still be behind a desk, pushing a keyboard, trying to put people into a job or trying to sell recruitment advertising space in a job I hated. And I'd rather be making, I don't know, this is not to diminish whatever someone's making, but say 20 grand a year by living the life I want to live rather than live making X, I don't know, 80 grand a year and pushing a mouse around the place and not getting any, you're a long time dead. You're a short billions time. Billions of years dead before and will be billions of years dead again. And I heard the same thing. One of my clients told me when I moved to Spain, his exact words were, you'll be back with your tail between your legs because you don't have the language. And I, I just remember thinking like, your limitations, my friend, your limitations, but they're not mine. So, and I, it's not one of those kind of victim poor me because I've probably said stupid things to people in the past, but it's important the values. Not everybody's going to share your vision and that's fine, but you got to share your vision. I think there's an amazing uh, kind of sentiment by John D. Martini. He says, whoever's in your life now, match up to your values. So say rather than looking for one value or all your values in one person, you may have a mate that might be humble. You may have a mate that may be kind of like kind. You may have a mate that might be um, kind of like the funny one or whatever. Whoever's in your life right now is meant to be right there. And I think it's little latching onto those values that that person brings in and bring your value from that similar value with them and have that relationship with them rather than trying to seek the same value or all the values in one person because not we're all human not not like i definitely don't have all the values or all the answers but i will try my utmost to be the best version of i can each day obviously there's days where i don't necessarily want to do things days i don't want to go for a walk but I know that if I go for that walk, I'll come back a hell of a lot. And I always have a bet with my clients. I'll eat my shoe the day you come back from a walk unhappy. For and sure. I, I like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, I'm yet to eat my shoe and I don't particularly want to do it that day either. <laughs> um, Paul, I could, I could chat all day and I like, I have the questions in front of me. I didn't ask any one of them. Um, it was just one of those episodes that I just kind of felt like a, 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 a cup of coffee um, where can people find out about the amazing podcast the client interviews and your coaching Paul um, Instagram Paul Dermody PT and the Paul Dermody podcast about the hype of my excitement um, <laughs> I'll put uh, I'll put the the links in the write up for everyone that to head over there's episode 5 and 46 if you want to go and listen to Paul again it'll be funny to listen back to the conversations again to see how much has changed because I remember I'm scared, the, f- man. the first one is off my mobile phone oh wow oh, I'm just and you're, scared because and yeah. you're in Barcelona oh wow oh yeah that would make that, would, that timeline makes sense yeah it's a long time I am um, I was on Brian's podcast in Barcelona and one last thing before we go I went my mate came over to Barcelona so I booked a podcast for Brian with Brian at I want to say 12 o'clock on the Wednesday. I'm almost certain it was 12 on the Wednesday. It's absolutely true, 100%. So I'm sitting there on Tuesday evening. I think that makes sense of the timeline. And I get a phone call. And I'm in Barcelona working. I'm like, I'm in the apartment by myself. And my mate rings Ben. And he goes, hey, where are you? And I said, what? what? I'm in my, the apartment working. And he was like, okay, do you want to go out tonight? And I was like, I'm in Barcelona. And he goes, yeah, I'm in uh, the Ramblas. And I was like, what? 
because Ben lives in Cork. And he's like, yeah, I'm in the Rambles. I just flew over. And I was like, you're joking. He was like, I'm in the Rambles. And he, he was in the Rambles. So I went, the hell is he doing in the Rambles? So I went into town and ended up going for a few pints with him. And we ended up out till six, seven in the morning anyway. And I woke up the next morning. It must have only been about 11.30, 11.40. And I just remember thinking, I have a podcast interview with Brian in 20 minutes. I'm hungover. I'm smart. I'm in a random hotel room with Ben. What the hell? Because Ben was obviously staying in a hotel and raced back and did the podcast. And I have been too afraid to even think about listening to it ever since. He told me, though, because I only told him about a year on that I was that, that was the case. Uh, I didn't tell him that morning. <laughs> I wanted to see. I was afraid he would, like, reschedule or I just kind of weirdly <laughs> just, just wanted to just get on with it. But I've been too afraid to listen to it back. Do you listen to your podcast back? I've listened to the last, say, 10 or 15 to evaluate my own performance, but I, was, I haven't listened to any of the previous. I never, I, Gary Vee, which was a big one for me, and I'd never listened to it. I haven't listened to anything pre-100. I guess I was just a bit shy, but now I start to evaluate myself. I noticed that I used to do filler words like, well, um, so like, uh, like uh, well, uh, um, um, and I've said one or two statements that now are, so like I, me- I remember talking about, you know, I was asked my opinion on steroids, and I give 10 questions to ask yourself about steroids. And one thing I asked yourself, I asked on the question was, do you know how to go from acidic to alkaline state? Because that was what my old online coach taught me at the time. And now I realize that's a pile of shit. And, I'm glad you, you said know, that. Cringing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, but my, that's, that was the language my old coach, well, my coach told me to go alkaline. I must need to go alkaline. And um, now I'm a little bit scared that that's on a piece of content I've put out. So forget to talk about the power of language and how it affects you. Making stupid statements that aren't true. So... It's the yeah. It's always the thing with the having a microphone on. You you don't know what's what you're going to say, and I'm sure I've changed angles of what I've said or wrapped it differently or whatever it is. It's hard not to say stupid shit. Uh, we're all human, uh, Paul. I cannot thank you enough for giving us so much of your time and for being so honest. And I think it's one of those episodes that I think a lot of people are going to hopefully latch onto in relation to headspace around kind of dieting themselves hunger staying in the lane and hopefully even if there's a few pts or coaches listening as well it's kind of like live by your values and not not by societies or pts fitness industry values and i think that's the biggest thing for ourselves so if we can impart anything on that i think and if you're if you're struggling just kind of reach out or whatever uh paul thank you so much for for coming on pleasure was mine as always